everyone listening to Round Guys Radio Network. Real quick, why don't you sign up for our newsletter? Whenever we have a new episode, we have a newsletter release. The only time we push one out, go over to roundguysbrewery.com slash RGR. Thank you for listening. This is, uh, my name is Adam. I am the co-owner and head mazer at Upper Reach Meadery. Um, and I am, uh, what that means is that I make all of our meads currently, although we do have some people training, um, and being a co-owner means that I also do everything else like, uh, clean the toilets and, uh, mop the floor and, uh, make sure everyone is, uh, is happy. What do, what do barrels do for mead? They do the same thing they do for wine and for beer. Um, so, uh, you know, they give character, they, you know, it depends on the barrel and what I'm looking to get from it. So again, a spirit barrel, bourbon, rum, whiskey, uh, I'm going to pull a little bit of that character from the barrel. Um, and I'll probably pull some oak from it as well, depending on how long it stays in there. Um, some wine barrels, uh, I could pull some wine character, but most of the time I'm looking to pull some French oak or American oak character from that. Um, at the same time, anytime you're aging in barrels, you're getting micro-oxidation. So micro-oxidation is going to help your mead uh, have a bigger mouthfeel, become become fattier in a way, uh, become, you know, more have more body and give more to it, more depth. Um, so anytime that we're doing, you know, barrel aging, that, that's what we're looking for to pull from it. But it depends on, you know, again, it depends on the barrel, it depends on the mead, and depends on what my ultimate goal is. Scott Rudish. I'm a uh, director of operations, primary brewmaster, and uh, overall, uh, you know, smiley guy that walks around with round guy stuff on all the time. Why? Why do you want to age beers? You, you age beers for a couple of reasons. Uh, as as a, a a big high, like, when I say high alcohol, anything above seven and a half percent. When you have a beer over seven and a half percent, and you start to age them, whether it be in steel or wood or plastic or kegs or whatever you know whatever you have the, the the chemistry in the beer continues to evolve and so you'll you'll have certain things people talk about something aging out so a lot of things that age out especially in like the higher gravity beers are the higher alcohols or the ones that remind people of hairspray jet fuel kerosene we, we tend to be very lucky with our high gravity beers and don't have a lot of those things but what what happens is a lot of those higher larger molecules start to break down and you get a more nuanced, what I would, I would consider a little bit more flavorful beer, a little bit more uh, easier to drink beer as you start to age them. The other part, uh, and we choose to age these in wood barrels, what happens is you get micro-oxidation. And oxidation in beer, by and large, is a bad thing. It's something you want to avoid whenever possible. But micro-oxidation across the very, very thick, dense walls of a wooden barrel starts to give you a little bit of flavors of sherry and leather and uh, some of these vinous characteristics, more, more vinous, more wine-like characteristics in a beer kind of transforms something like, well, the first pagan poetry, Chronomancer. Chronomancer aged in a mead barrel for six months. You get this kind of blending of this oxidation and deeper stone fruits and, and these, uh, these flavors just kind of pull out the best of Chronomancer. What does the oak character impart on the meat? What specifically is that characteristic? When a normal drinker, a normal, maybe a new, because meat is, it's a growing market. And it's been, 
mm-hmm. a gradually growing market, but now I feel like it's, it's definitely gaining with ideas and philosophies like a, a me maker like yourself and, and your company and your great team. What they're doing is you're expanding it out to people who never, ever would have thought they're drinking a mead. So what is the oak character imparting on a mead? Well, it depends on the the oak. So there's there's primarily three different types of uh, three different types of oak. You have French Amer- uh, French oak, American oak, and then you have European uh, oak, which is sometimes called Hungarian because that's usually what most of it is. Um, they're similar but different in their own ways. Each one of them, American oak is going to throw American oak for the wine world is going to throw different than what an American oak barrel would be for spirits. Uh, in the wine, uh, an American oak wine barrel is going to throw lots and lots of vanilla and in coconut. Those are your the two things you're going to pull from that big time, um, and that's what you're looking for to pull. Um, and it will come in. It will come in quick, uh, and it will be a little bit more robust. Um, French oak is going to give you. Uh, same vanilla uh, and coconut, but it's going to almost have like a, like a cream soda flavor and it's going to be more subtle. um, And it's going to be more, it's going to sound weird to say it, but it's going to be more silky. Um, It's softer uh, the way it comes in and just a French oak, it it will take a little bit more time. Um, So again, depending on, you know, what your ultimate goal is and what you're looking to get out of it, <clears throat> those barrels will give you different things. But, you know, if I'm looking to make a traditional mead and I want to have lots of vanilla and, and lots of vanilla flavor, um, I'll go for American oak uh, all day long. If I want it to have a little bit more of like that coconutty, creamsicle-y vanilla um, and I need it to take a little bit more time and I want it to, to, to micro-oxidate or get micro-oxidation in that barrel for longer, then I would go with French oak. Um, and, and certain things give, give different, you know, certain, certain meads, you know, I might try a mead once it's made and say, oh, this is definitely going to pair beautifully with, with American oak, or, uh, you know, I might plan to have it aged in American oak, but then once I try the mead in the final product, I might say, nope, this is definitely French oak. This is, this is going to be real pretty. So I can kind of steer it in either direction or change it if I need to as well. Hey folks, thank you for joining me today. This is Bill McGinney for Inside the Brewery. This is the Round Guys Radio Network podcast that explains in details how Round Guys Brewing Company actually develops its products. We talk with key stakeholders in product development, including any partners that we're using to help build the product. You can learn more about Round Guys Brewing Company by simply going to roundguysbrew.com. When you go to roundguysbrew.com, you can order takeout, you can order shipping for Pennsylvania only can learn more about our beers we have a area where we have some special videos and and details regarding development taste and profiles of a number of our beers and we're looking to continue to expand that out and finally you can order online merch we actually have a separate merch shop where you can find some of our labels and some unique t-shirts you can't buy anywhere else right on roundguysbrew.com i encourage you if you like this show to please please give it a five-star review and share it it's always good to have new people listen to the show. If you're, if you know of anyone who might be interested in learning how we develop things, this is a great inside the brewery is a great series. 
Let's jump right into the show where Adam, an old friend of mine, we used to be home brewers, he went on to start and develop Haymaker Meadery, and Scott discussed how we developed the concept of our pagan poetry line of beers. Today we're talking about pagan poetry. What is pagan poetry? Pagan poetry is concept of taking mead barrels that ha- that have mead from our friend Adam Crockett of Upper Reach, formerly Haymaker Meadery, and and basically aging our high some of our high gravity beers in those barrels. I really wanted to do a series. COVID kind of pushed us in that direction when we did our our strong Scottish ale that we really couldn't in COVID you know, do 11, 12, or actually it would have been something like eight kegs of Scottish, uh, strong Scottish ale. We would have had that on tap for a year and a half. That kind of led to a little bit of the inspiration of let's work with, let's work, let's work with Adam Crockett. His production is ramping up. So his mead barrels will be much more available and let's start rotating pagan poetry as a series, much like some of our other beers, like sabotage are becoming a series, but you know, pagan poetry, like find great things that we can do. Great original multi-styles and partner with uh, another alcohol producer in the area to create some um, flavors. And I actually, I believe you were the one that came up with the name Pagan Poetry. It was a song that you liked. So I think actually you you know a little bit more about the history behind the naming of it too. Yeah, that song's a Bjork song from the Vespertine album, which is kind of a weird album, like everything else at Bjork. It's just, uh, <laughs> it's got an addictive, it's got an addictive beat, you know? As long as Adar is not barking in my ear, it's fine. (laughs) I'm with Bjork. Shut up, Adar. Hey, you ready to take flight this summer? I mean, I know everyone coming out of COVID is ready to go on a trip. But have you been by our pub? We actually have a flight menu. We have a IPA flight. We have a flight that's actually doctored and curated by the bartenders right there. We have special event flights, like we have May the 4th flight and our drag flight, and we have just special event flights. In addition, you can order your own line of four individual paddle flights. You can also do, and this is really cool, try to challenge yourself on a mystery flight. If you get all four right, you get a free 12-ounce pour. So it's always a good challenge. And not to forget, we have all the beer flights. That's like 18, almost 18 beers, 16 to 18 beers, depending on the drafts, right there at your table. Time to take flight, friends. Roundguysbeer.com. Why don't you tell me a little bit about Upper Reach versus, you know, as I don't want to name brands and I don't want to, I just have a lot of people have an impression of it being a thick kind of really sweet drink. I know what you mean. Yeah. So we take a different approach to it and you're not, you're not, that's not wrong. And, and you're not wrong by thinking that way. Obviously almost anybody that comes into our, our, our shop you know, let's even say more than half of people come in there and they are either thinking of 
traditional needs. Um, and, and by traditional needs, they're thinking of like 16, 17% alcohol and, and thick viscosity, uh, with honey. Um, cause traditionally speaking, uh, that is what the market has offered. Um, the whole idea behind what we're doing with the modern mead, um, idea is that we can do that and we also do other things so you know to me the idea of modern meat or what modern meat is or where meat the direction meat is going into is it's all encompassing meaning that that meat doesn't have to be sweet and just traditional it can be a dry traditional it can be barrel aged uh we can you know uh one of the things that attracted me to mead was that i can play in in the wine world and i can play in the beer world so i can do a mead with wine grapes that maybe is cold macerated and uh aged in in american or french oak at the same time i can make a mead uh in the beer world that's maybe aged uh or or uh, uh, has hops in it um, and uses beer yeast. Um, and in the same time, I can also age things in bourbon barrels and, and mimic some cocktails out there. Um, and they can be dry and sweet. So that's kind of the idea of what modern mead to me is that it's, it's not this all encompassing one dimensional idea of what mead is. It's just the same as craft beer. You know, if you ask someone, you know, 30 years ago, let me do my math on that real quick. Yeah, 30 years ago is about right. <laughs> if you ask someone in you know like the late 80s, early 90s about beer, uh, you know uh, they might mention the same classic, you know, American yellow, you know, uh, Bud Miller Coors kind of a of a beer, um, and they wouldn't think of what beer is now. But it took time, and now beers is all. If anything, beers now even starting to play in the wine world, and they're playing in the mead world as well. So I think mead is in that area right now where we are stepping out of that idea that meat is a, a, a high alcohol sweet products and and that's one of the things we're doing heavily is showing people that showing people the difference of that and, and showing them what we can and can't you know what we can do with meat it's really not much we can't do what are the ingredient selections that you use in a meat hmm everything <laughs> um obviously honey being our our main fermentable um but some of the meads that we might do might be literally, you know, 55% honey and 45% uh, grape juice. Um, but some of the products that we use the most, we love barrel aging. Uh, I, I absolutely love barrel aging anywhere from, you know, from distilled spirits like bourbon, rum, and 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 uh, dessert style uh, age, and then into um, wine, uh, wine barrels and beer barrels, but main products we use are a lot of fruits berry fruits um are are extremely popular um different types of honey we use you know we probably use anywhere between 15 and 20 different types of varietal honeys um in all of our products um but yeah i mean honey fruit barrels that's about the basis of uh, of what we do uh, of our products the, you're coming in when these guys are fermented down. They come out pretty thin, don't they? Um, not no, not really. It depends. Okay. Um, it, it depends again, depending on what our starting gravity is, what my final gravity is, and a lot of that can be, can depend upon uh, the yeast I'm using. Um, so a lot of yeast can throw, you know, uh, a lot of glycerin or polysaccharides that can that can that can 
I don't want to say thicken it up, but but give it a really nice mouthfeel. And when you get into some of these big meads that can be like a starting gravity again of like 1170, maybe 30% of that is being pulled, that sugar is being pulled from strawberries or from black raspberries. And, you know, the, the juice of a strawberry or black raspberry is going to have a lot of, a lot more than just sugar in there. And that'll also help give it a beautiful mouthfeel. When you say the juice of the raspberry or uh, any of the berry fruits that you're using, are you creating that juice? Yeah. I mean, I guess we're creating it. I mean, we're just taking, we're taking strawberries. It depends on the berry, but you know, for strawberries and, and raspberries in general, they're both their skins are very thin. So there's not a lot of color in the, in the fruit with those two berries. So we generally will take those berries, thaw them and press them instantly uh, once they're thawed and remove the, the fibrous material or all all the fiber from the product and just have the juice and just add that 100% strawberry fresh squeezed uh, strawberry raspberry juice to it. If we use berries like blueberries or thicker skin berries like the aronia berry or there's lots of berries out there, cherries or even plums, we want that berry in there during fermentation. So fermentation happens on the skin of that berry because there's a lot to that berry. Um, you know, blueberries in general, if you ever squeeze a blueberry or open a blueberry, it's white on the inside. Um, so the color is all coming from the skin, just like, a, just like a grape. So you need that contact of that blueberry to pull the tannins and to pull the, um, the, the color as well. Right. And what I was trying to get at is that you guys are, you're creating this care. You're not going to a third party and bringing in some already pureed material. No, no, for the most part, no. Um, I can't say that for a hundred percent. Um, but as much as we can, we do, but some fruit is near impossible, um, to get the way we want it. You know, some more exotic fruits like guava. We, we have a lot of fun with guava. Um, but we get an awesome guava puree um, from a you know from a company in Florida that that does all of the processing for us. I, I can't find guavas in the, you know I can't find uh, three thousand pounds of guavas anywhere in Pennsylvania. It just doesn't exist. Okay, so now we have this product. We've made a high sugary honey, fifty percent honey substance. We're using a lot of berries, a lot of freshly squeezed juice. You put that in a barrel. You put that in a barrel. You have the oak characteristic that can give you varying degrees of vanilla, varying degrees of sharpness, varying degrees of oxidation. What happens to the mead as it ages? Um, it, 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 I always think of putting this in, in, uh, I don't want to say simple terms, but just terms that everyone will understand. Um, it, it marries together. Uh, so anyone who's ever made beer or anyone that's ever made wine anyone's ever done that would understand when i say you know when fermentation ends um sometimes when you try it you can taste the alcohol and then you can taste the barley and then you can taste the hops but it hasn't quite become one yet or it hasn't married together and that's that's pretty popular and or, or pretty it happens a lot more in wine and higher alcohol um it just takes time for that to all come together the alcohol calms down um, it becomes softer if, if, you know, if you were to visualize it, alcohol at that point would have jagged edges. Um, your acidities would have jagged edges. And over time, those edges are, are rounded down and they're much more approachable. 
So that's the idea behind aging. But you don't need a lot of aging. I mean, I can I can put together a semi-sweet mead and have it ready at 12 or 13%, and I can have it ready at month four, you know, in, in four months. And that's including fermentation time. Um, so it's not like not like not like aging will change it all that much. Most of that needs to happen in fermentation. And and that's where the, a good prep can, can happen as far as, you know, understanding fermentation, understanding meat, understanding your yeast so that you don't have to age it for a year or longer um, to make up for uh, the lack of good fermentation uh, techniques. What's the original gravity of something you're putting into a barrel? <laughs> can I give you a range? Yeah, I mean, in general, right? You're, you're going to, most of your meads are now sitting at a lower ABV than a typical mead, correct? Uh, like, than a standard, yes. traditional. Ours, ours go into the barrel. My goal is usually between 12 and 13% in the barrel. But with that being said, you said original gravity. <clears throat> it might go in there with a final gravity of 1070 or you know somewhere in the ballpark of like you know that's 17 18 plato going into it so at 1070 that's its final gravity that means we started our starting gravity on that one was probably 1170 or 1180 um so it's huge it's huge and, oh, wow and, and <laughs> huge yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's it's monstrous. It's it's unheard of. Like, well, not in the mead world, but in the beer world, it's unheard of. Um, but we're looking for all that residual sweetness. It's actually not that unheard of anymore in the in the beer world with the idea of dessert stouts and all that stuff. They're 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 coming in at, at that size and ending in the same area. But and 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 that's some of our, that's our sweet stuff. You know, some of our others might start at eleven, you know, eleven twenty. Uh, or even 1100 sometimes if I want to make a nice dry mead that comes in at 11% alcohol and has just a little bit of residual sugar, I'll start at 1100. But, you know, most of ours where we're starting to pay on alcohol is anywhere between 1120 and 1150. And, and we definitely go bigger than that if, if, when we need to. And speak, we were speaking about Jimi Hendrix. One of the biggest, one of my most fun things I've done was play the national anthem as Jimi Hendrix in the Phillies game. That was fun. Learn about great music you need to know about on the Tonal Shift with Steve William Johnson. Check it out right here on the Round Guys Radio Network. barrels in the past why did you choose mead i chose mead because essentially what adam is doing is he's taking the spirit character the the primary spirit character out of the barrel with his mead mead by itself you take fermented honey and you put it in a barrel fermented honey is largely a neutral spirit it has some sweetness but it's there's not a little bit of honey character but a little bit of the uh the base honey character whether it be wildflower or clover or orange blossom but by and large once you start aging it all that goes away so what what adam's done is he's taken the initial spirit so if it's a heaven hill barrel we're going to get the initial heaven hill hit out of there we're gonna have the residual sweet liquid that he's left behind 
But now we start getting into second use and we start getting a little bit more into the vanillins and some of those characteristics, which will ultimately sweeten the beer and ultimately give the perception of a greater amount of sweetness. So by removing the, the, the base high ABV 40% spirit, you get an opportunity to blend with a 10%, 12%, 8%, whatever he's using, mead, which just kind of softens softens the uh, the beer we put in there. Yeah, that's interesting. So it actually does change the profile of the beer that's going to be coming out. How it, long it does... does. Good. I mean, you, you still get spirit character afterwards, but um, if, if I were to age something like our Russian Imperial Stout in a whiskey barrel... I'm going to age that for at most one to two months in that whiskey barrel because all I'm really trying to do is make it boozy whiskey. I'm really just trying to get that character out of it. Um, once you remove that that first bit, you still get some residual whiskey character, but now you're actually starting to pull the actual oak and the the, uh, the structure and the, the tannins and the vanillins of the oak into your beer. I recall the last time we did Pagan Poetry. It was a very complex tasting beer. It's really... An, an enjoyable beer. It's one of those beers that you have just that night. You just enjoy the beer because there's so many nuances in there. What flavors, if any, does the mead actually impart in that barrel that gets pulled in from directly from the mead into that beer? I think I think you get a lot of the freshness of the of the the honey part of the mead. So just just for instance, if you have if you have a, a shot of whiskey and you have a shot of mead that's been aged in whiskey, the the mead aged in whiskey kind of gives you um, a little bit more balance in that heat and that character of bourbon. It's kind of like dropping some water into some bourbon. You're going to get a little bit more depth of flavor. You're not going to get hit in the face with that that bourbon. I find the mead carries a lot of those bourbon characteristics or a lot of those barrel characteristics into the beer in a little bit more of a subtle, nuanced, and perhaps a more elegant way than, than say, just straight up throwing a, uh, a beer in a bourbon barrel. Well, that's a wrap. Thanks for listening to another episode of Inside the Brewery. These are really fun episodes for me to do because I get to chat with sometimes old friends, cool people in the industry, get to learn about how different people make their products. We've got to learn some great things about Upper Reach Meadery. I encourage you to check them out. I have all the details where you can find Upper Reach, not just in the show notes, but right after this little piece right here. Definitely share, like, give five stars, whatever you can to help promote the show. Really appreciate it. If you know someone who's going to really enjoy hearing about meat production and beer together, Find that person and share the show on their page. Also, we have a newsletter. You just go to roundguysbrewery.com slash RGR. Sign up for a newsletter right there. The only time you get notifications is when a new episode comes out. That easy. Hey, thank you again for supporting us. Thank you for listening. Have a great one, friends. Please feel free to reach out to me, Bill, at roundguysbrewery.com. See you, folks. So you can find out more about us at upperreachmead.com. Um, or you can check us out, Upper Reach Meadery, on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and, uh, you know, lots of articles and lots of uh, other podcasts out there about us as well. We're just uh, trying to bring our products out. You can also find us in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. So our tasting room is in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. And you can order our stuff at upperreachmead.com. And we ship to 40 different states.